Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by Backline Running. Backline is a Brooklyn-based active lifestyle and sportswear company. They're a family-owned small business that was started by two brothers back in 2008. They were drawing from their athletic experience as rugby players and as runners. Over the years, the Backline team has grown to include a female partner and other collaborators as it continues to find inspiration in the intersection of art, sports, and street culture. If you go to their site, backline.nyc, you can see all those designs yourself. Personally, I most recently rocked their performance singlet in my first race since March. Didn't quite get the sub five that I wanted, but notched a pretty solid PR. And then afterwards, on the broadcast, I wore a shirt that was a hit. It said, the future is female coaches. Got a few comments about it on the stream. And now, it's in stock and in their store, so go check it out. I'll explain more about how that initiative came about and how it gives back to female coaches and female athletes through WeCoach. That's just part of what Backline does. It's a company that's engaging with its customers. It's engineering with care and sustainable environmental practices and they find a way to give back to the community. Sidious Mag podcast listeners can use promo code Sidious at checkout for 15% off all of their products, t-shirts, hoodies, joggers, jackets, whatever you want, they've got it. Check them out today at backline.nyc and use code Sidious to support them and the running community at large. My guest for today's episode is Tyler Day. He shares what went into his decision to turn professional and sign with the Hoka One One Northern Arizona Elite Team after quite a successful career at Northern Arizona University. Tyler is a six-time All-American and was part of three NCAA championship winning cross-country squads for the Lumberjacks. Most recently, the end of his collegiate career was cut short due to the coronavirus pandemic, but he managed to set the American collegiate record at the indoor 5K in 1316 back in this past winter at a small meet at Boston University. He also competed for the U.S. at the 2019 Pan American Games. So in this episode, we'll look back at his successful NCAA career, his goals for the 2021 outdoor campaign, the Flagstaff running community, and much more. We even take a couple listener questions because this was over Instagram Live. So apologies now if the audio's a little bit uh, not so leveled. But Tyler comes out pretty clear in this. So without further ado, here is Tyler Day. What's up, Tyler? How's it going? <laughs> What's up, Chris? How you doing? Good. I love the shades. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I saw the little teaser, so I was like, I got to break it out for the people for a little bit. But I'm not going to go full on Macho Man for any time longer. They're going to be coming off pretty soon. But want to make a good impression. Perfect. All right. So first off, congrats on the pro contract and also now the decision to join NAZ Elite. Uh, so but before we, we get to all of that, I want to I want to talk about what most people have been chiming off in the comment section. Uh, and it's mostly been the the hair and the beard. How long has this all been going on for? Um, so the 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 follicles on my noggin that started about I think a year ago, I got a haircut during July. And because that was during a time I was like, oh, I was going to make the Pan American team. But then when I was off the Pan American team the first time, I was like, well, I'm going to cut my hair, you know. And then I found that I made back on the team. So I think word of the wise is if you want to make a U.S. team, you have to cut your hair. Um, and so hair was in July. 
Beard was quarantined. Um, you know, other people have quarantine projects. You know, they probably take up knitting, uh, make bread, uh, anything like that. I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to touch the razor. And now that I actually got a real job, my mom was just kind of trying to saying, hey, now that you're going pro and everything, you got you to gotta dial it up. So I don't know if I need to keep it or anything, but that's I'm going with that. Perfect. So this real job, finally... Have you had to report to work yet, or, or was today the first day that you put pen to paper? What, what, where are we at right now in sort of that process? Yeah, yeah. So um, I initially reported to work like like kind of early last month, um, and then I got all of my contract stuff all done, life signed away about a week ago. And then after that, I think the media department was like, okay, you know, the dude did the long form, short form, all the contract stuff. He already jumped through all the hoops. Uh, I think we should give him a chance. So I think today is where the whole entire like running community uh, hears about it. But I think everyone in Flagstaff knew I was going to be with this team. Like, yo, you haven't left yet. Like you're not reporting to class. You're not, not in the locker room. Like, what are you doing here? You bum. So, uh... <laughs> so that's what I think is like fairly interesting about just like this move is that you know, when people tend to sign pro contracts and, you know, join a team, it usually means that they're going to have to make a move to, you know, a whole nother city, you know, and for you, it just seems like it's going to be a lot of the same, except you've got much faster training partners now and the workouts are going to be harder. Um, how are you sort of envisioning this, this little transition process right now? Um, it's kind of funny. Like I know like other people move from like different states to state, but I literally just moved across town. So like I, there was a house that a family friend was, had a room and I was like, Oh, I'm down to be there. Cause it was kind of during a time where I didn't know where I was going. Yes. So it was like my halfway house. I deemed it. Um, but yeah, now it's going to be, I'm going to be staying here house as you can tell with everything on the walls and stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, it was just like with the transition, I have a lot more free time on my hands. Uh, and I know that kind of sounds weird, but you're so used to as a college athlete, like reporting to class or doing all these extracurricular things. Well, now as a pro, it's like you run, it's like, all right, like wait for the next run or, Oh, <laughs> go to weights, do weights or, Oh, you have massage, like do that. So, so far I just kind of been, yeah, just kind of chilling here and uh, trying to recover. So I'm trying to get adjusted to all this free time. But um, other than that, it's something I've always been prepared for. I know you did a really good job of, you know, how I need to be more mature in my training and what to expect if I do want to continue this uh, running route. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of it, I, I was expecting a lot of it. I wasn't expecting. So the big question is how did we get to this point? Because a lot of people the last time you really kind of like made headlines was probably from the indoor track season. Uh, you know, the big performance that you had for, for the 5k. Then after that, the last result I saw on like the T first page of yours was just conference championship. And then from there, everything just kind of gets washed away. Where did life take you from there? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like my last college race was in uh, Pocatello, Idaho on a 200 meter wooden track uh, for the 5k to secure a team dub. So it's kind of weird thinking about that. But yeah, no, uh, it kind of happened pretty quickly. Yes, slowly. Uh, we were on our way to Albuquerque, we were driving and then uh, the Utah Jazz players got infected and the NBA season got infected and slowly and surely you saw the dominoes fall and the next day came and it was like, well, are we going to race nationals for this pre-meet? We don't know. And sure enough, during our pre-meet, they canceled NCAAs. And I'm looking over at Jordy, who's also in the same position as I am. And it's like, okay, like, oh, what's happening now? Like what's happening outdoor season stuff. And we were at BJ's, we had ESPN and we saw that outdoors being canceled. And we're like, 
okay, like, what do we do now? Like, are we just going to go Hollywood and go big time and go pro? Or do we have to go back to NAU? And, uh, and slowly there, like, agents started calling. It was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, that's super cool. But we want to know if there's any, like, you know, are, are the coaches wanting to talk? And so initially it was we could get all the agents talk to us. Like, that wasn't a problem. But trying to get the coaches to talk to us, that was super difficult. So it was super frustrating. And then when we did talk to the coaches, it was just kind of like, hey, like normal year circumstances will totally take you. But because of COVID, my boss is telling me otherwise, and we don't know if it's going to be set or stone or not. So it's just kind of like, kind of off putting <laughs> to put it, you know, uh, I feel like I have a good resume to go with any team uh, in the US and to have them be like, hey, you know, you're good. Just, I don't know if we could take you now. It's kind of like, wow. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until I think when Hoka gave me what they had to offer, they're like one of the last teams around to, I really had to hear out and everything. I was like five days away from reporting to NAU and signing up for master's classes and talking to my academic advisor and everything. So I was like, yeah, I was like super close to actually going back to NAU until Hoka was just like, Hey, this is what we got for you. What are your thoughts? And so, uh, yeah, th that was just kind of a short form. If with the long form, I don't think we have the time or pace or have my annoying voice to rattle on about that. <laughs> what do you, what do you think it is that you missed out on not being able to compete at that indoor championship based off of how well, uh, you know, that, that the BU 5k went? Yeah. I mean, if I could think selfishly, it's like, yeah, I want to see if I could actually leave with an individual title. Um, it's kind of hard to feel that I've done everything that I could in NCAA except win an individual title. You know, I've, I've won three team titles, uh, or I, I didn't win it. Me and a bunch of other stellar dudes did it. Um, I won all the awards I really wanted to shoot for. Um, it's just I didn't get the elusive top one. Um, but I think the biggest thing that was taken away was um, I know the dudes got runner up in cross country that year and we were gearing up for a really big indoor season. And regardless if our team, I mean, I know we were ranked number one at one point. So like, regardless if we got fourth, third, second, or first, like if we brought back a trophy to Flagstaff, it would have been huge for the track program recruiting wise. And also the city of Flagstaff, you know, when I was getting recruited, it was sort of like, Hey, we're a cross country school. Um, track is going to be like, you know, I mean, it's going to be a main factor, but we're here for cross country. And just to say that, oh, I came here and won, helped win three titles and also won a trophy in indoor to help build up a track program. That would have been uh, great to leave on too. But um, yeah, those are just the things. It's just the memories I wanted to make more of my fifth year and, uh, you know, probably help guide the freshmen maybe a little bit more or a little bit less. I don't know if they want to hear me guide them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the one thing I was just taking away was just more time on the team and like last goodbyes and you know all the little mushy stuff like that so kind of to provide a little bit of context and, and and some background on you for some people who might just be hearing of you now for the first time signing with with uh, naz elite um you did sort of hint at it is just the recruiting process for you coming out of high school you're an arizona guy nau at that point you did say they were just more of a cross-country school but this is like coming into 2015 ish um your first year where was the program at at that point and then we all know what happens after that 16 17 18 is just pure dominance but in 15 when you're coming into this what was sort of your role on the team and where did the team see itself just in the grand scheme of the cross-country picture yeah like my senior year of high school people were asking me have you did you apply for NAU and I said no they're not going to look at a dude like me like at all like 100 percent like I wasn't even planning on 
sending in my records or anything. So I was like, they're not going to pick up a dude like me. Like it's easy. And I think because I flew to my way into NXN, they're like, Hey, maybe we should get this guy a shot and probably cheap labor too. Who knows? So, but, but going into it, I knew they were a really good team. And in my opinion, they were the greatest cross country team to never win a cross country title. A hundred percent. And to have to podium, what was it like? out of five years they podium four times or out of four years they podium three times and you know third second third they're always right there it's just like you know it's, it's super consistent and so to have them actually reach out to me and be like hey we want to recruit you i was like holy crap like super stoked you know and then to have them still stick with me and give me an offer i was just like really stoked and but yeah going into it in 2015 I knew that it was going to be footsteps last year. I know uh, Matt McElroy was on his way out. Um, I know there was a dude that was a fifth year there that came from LMU, Weston Strum. He was on his way out. And so it was like a lot of veterans were like leaving. And so I was like, oh, I wonder how this went. And then, yeah, I went to the team, learned everything. And then that first practice, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're redshirting Footsim and a bunch of other people on the team. This is a rebuilding year. And I was like, well, am I going to get redshirted or am I going to get like re- racing? So it was a bunch of unknown answers i'm glad i was able to answer in the following years but um yeah it was kind of hellish you know like like you go in you're like wow this is a really badass program for being an in-state kid and then just to get in there and be like oh wow this is actually going to be a rough year for my first year so what does that do for the culture of the team just having been so close just year in and year out and the approach and what what sort of like the coaches and as sort of like the the conversation at the very beginning of a season like about the perspective outlook of okay maybe this is finally our year because it's like you think about any other sports team and, and just like a fan base when 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 a team gets so close multiple times it's just like all right maybe next year maybe next year but when it's year in and year out for you like that I mean what what how does that season start so yeah so like 2015 i knew it was going to be kind of a rough one but i never knew what the ncaa circuit was like i was just green behind the ears and so yeah we tied with kentucky at osu uh which was kind of crazy and then yeah we got 30th out of 35th at netty comb and that's when our coach just immediately kind of like threw in the towel and was just like yep next year's our year like for sure and so it was kind of a rough get-go that first year because i was like oh man like did i make a mistake like i thought the school was supposed to be badass and out of coach heinz's 10 years at NAU he never made nationals once and that was my freshman year and so uh yeah it was kind of degrading where I was watching uh nationals in my dorm room eating Reese's Puffs you know watching people that I'd be in at mountain regions being all American placement and I'm just twiddling my thumbs in the mountains uh so but it was kind of like okay like maybe next year is our year like maybe we just give it a chance and then yeah in between that indoor season leading up to cross country coach Hines is like hey I'm actually going to be leaving and I was like, wow, a dude I came to NAU for is actually dipping. We're going to get a new guy. I'm pretty sure he's going to suck. Like, where am I going to go from here? And so, <laughs> yeah, it was really a bunch of uncertainty. It was a bunch of questions and less answers. So when we came into 2016, it was just kind of like, all right, like we're going to give it our best and see what's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, glad to say the rest is history. I'm glad I was wrong. I'm glad the new guy didn't suck. Uh, and I'm glad that uh, we were left on good terms. So, Of those three titles that you guys won I, I guess like what which of the three is the sweetest that's a tough one Chris all right I didn't know I was gonna be on the spot on this one um I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the political answer and say all of them are very special but I'm gonna say the first one because I know the second one people are like oh you ran you and Matt were super dominant and the third one's like oh the third one's like the cherry on top but 
those two wouldn't really happen or have that much uh, weight to it if we didn't win the first one. You know, that first one was just kind of like we were built with a team of dudes that have came close year after year after year. Like when we won that first title, that was my first NCAA championship. I was one and one at that point, you know. I was just like, and and you see like Andy Truard, you see Nathan Wise, you see Footsnet are crying because they were there when they were walking off the stage and they heard we are the champions and it was for the other team, you know, while, you know, Jordy, myself, Matt, and like the new guys, we were like, oh, this is how you win it? Like, cool, sweet. Like, that's sick. <laughs> but yeah, I would say the first one was pretty sweet just because it was kind of like, we actually did it. Like, it's doable. A non-Power 5 school can do this. And we did it, like, even after all the years of people saying, oh, they can't do it or they came close, like, we actually did it. Um, and I think it kind of helped us uh, bounce off into the next years uh, with that confidence. What was the year where you and Matt just in that in that race take off, but, like, there's some sort of, like, conversation between the two of you guys and, like, the Oklahoma State guy? What year was that? That's a funny that was that, that, that was 2016, yeah. So, um, yeah, to, to throw it back there. We just so for people who've ran on the Indiana State course as a college athlete or, or who hasn't, there's two big loops. The first loop, I forgot how big the loops are, is like about probably like 5K ish. Well, yeah, that makes sense if it's two loops, math. Um, and so we were just rounding into the second loop. And historically, that's where Patrick Tierden just makes that hard move to try to break Cheserick. And so they were in the front of the pack. Matt and myself were in the back of the pack, but I didn't see Matt at all. And so when Patrick Tierden makes that hard move, we felt it, and I was just kind of toasted. I was like, wow, this is a hard move. I don't think I could go any longer. And Oklahoma State has, a, has like that neon orange like singlet. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with this guy. I'm going to pass him on this corner. And then all of a sudden, like this arm just like shoots out, and he's pointing to me, and it's Matt, which at this time had a crazy little beard, so he looks like a little Wookiee. And he's just like, yo, you and me, like, we're going. Now, mind you, I've only known this dude for about six months. Like, like I'm not blood brother. Like, I'm not like, yo, ride or die. I'm like, I just know you for six months. I can barely understand you with your accent right now. Um, but at that moment, he's like, yo, you and me, we're going. And so I was like, holy crap, yeah. And I linked up with Matt, and we went around the corner. And then Matt just kept on going. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't keep up. And so... Matt went off and historically he finished 11th. So obviously he was having his self a day. And if I would have gone any further, I probably would have dropped like a rock. But yeah, that was like a special moment where during a race where you kind of feel very fatigued and kind of down on yourself, you know, you kind of rely on your teammates to like pick yourself up. So always rely on your teammates around you. Moral of the story. A quick break to hear from our sponsor, Backline. Like I said at the top of the show, one of my favorite designs is their Future is Female Coaches shirt. They also have shirts, hoodies, and jackets that say the Future is Female Runners. So I wanted to know a little bit more about how this design came to be. I asked co-founder Matthew Vosper. The, the Future's Female Runners uh, and then ultimately the Future's Female Coaches designs were, were born out of uh, really um, a desire to celebrate um, the amazing achievements that we've seen, particularly over the last several years, but, but over um, the many decades. You know, we, we often do get this question uh, around, you know, do we mean to, to say the future as opposed to now? And you know, we certainly don't mean the, the design to be taken so literally. It's, it's a play off of the original Futures female design. And so we don't uh, claim uh, certainly ownership over that. What we did want to do was inspire um, others to you know, to, to get into the sport um, and to make sure that they knew that they had a place in the sport. Because I think there's such a uh, emphasis, whether it's in representation, 
whether that's in gear, whether that's in uh, pay at the professional level uh, or in coaching, um, we've seen that there's been a focus on uh, the male athlete and less on the female athlete. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, how we look at athletes and ensuring that they have a space across all of those different uh, roles within the sport as coaches, as, as uh, athletes, as professionals. Uh, and so the Features Female Runners was the start of that. It was certainly one of our biggest designs for a longest period of time. Um, and we received a lot of um, great you know, positive feedback on that in terms of it really inspiring others to, to get into the sport. We've now changed that into the Features Female Coaches Initiative, which is to really focus on highlighting female coaches both in the New York City area but also abroad uh, in across the country and the great things that they're doing um, to really uh, help highlight a part of the conversation um, of how they're coaching in an age where we're seeing just um, horrendous story after story of the ways in which uh, females have been um, uh, coached uh, at the professional level uh, but even across all levels ensuring that there's enough information about how to coach people properly, understanding the differences between men and women uh, so that uh, everyone feels like uh, they're getting appropriate information and not just getting a cookie cutter uh, plan that was designed for males uh, or uh, with, the, with the understanding of the science for males and then just kind of replicating that into you know, a, female, um, a female coaching or female training plan. Um, that's obviously a sort of a major part of um, how do we shift that conversation and portions of sales uh, for, uh, or a portion of the sale for the Features Female Coaches design actually goes to We Coach, which is a great organization um, uh, with uh, training for female coaches at the collegiate level and, and they're expanding beyond that as well. Check out the Future is Female Coaches and the Future is Female Runners line at backline.nyc. And for our Sidious Mag podcast listeners, you get 15% off at checkout if you use promo code Sidious, backline.nyc. After your time at NAU, I mean, you spend this whole entire time finally getting used to Coach Mike Smith's training philosophy. At the very beginning, you know, this learning process of working with a new coach, what was different between uh, him and Coach Heinz? And then, like, I guess now having been in that system, what do you hope carries over as you turn pro? Yeah, so I think the cool thing about the transition between Hines and Smith was that Smith came in a semester, like they overlapped. So he, so he was able to see kind of what Hines did and everything and know, you know, what to do like the NAU way, if you want to put it. Because I think a lot of times a new coach comes into an already built culture and tries to make it the new coaches and try to force it while Smith kind of slowly like kind of changed it over time instead of kind of like a big change. And the difference between them, first off, Coach Hines is old school. He's from the Midwest. Uh, we're down with like heavy repeats on the grass. Um, if, if we're not doing good, he's going to let you know about it. Um, you know, if you're not hitting the time. So he's very old school, which is, I, I appreciate it. You know, it keeps me on my toes and forces me not to, you know, don't want to get cut. And so um, he was, yeah, very old school mentality on that part. While Mike was like, this ominous dark voice like nurturing kind of figure and you're like oh, whoa I'm not used to this thing but they're both very intense in what they do they both care a lot at what they do um it's just some people show it differently you know Smith is very kind of secretive and kind of like this figure while Heinz is just you know your regular old Missouri dude you know like uh typical and then how I could carry over 
kind of like Smith's techniques at NAU uh, to NAZ Elite. I think just try to have uh, confidence in myself and know that I do belong here, um, that I do, uh, and also trust the system like, like you know, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Like if it gets you there, cool, don't change it. And, you know, don't reach for the stars if, you know, it hasn't worked for you before, you know, just keep doing what you need to do and do what works for you. So I think it's just, even though I'm in a bigger setting now where, I'm getting paid at what I'm doing. I, I could now travel the world. I'm not restricted to NCAA guidelines. It doesn't mean that I can't quit being the scrappy dude. I cannot quit being, you know, that dude that wants to fight for his right to party, the lack of a better term. So wait, is that what the, uh, the, the NAU way boils down to? I think the NAU way is just, I think chop wood, carry water, uh, which is kind of, you know, Oh, cool. You're a lumberjack said that, but, but it's like, we have very different people on the team, you know, people like that are me, they're outgoing, likes to show it and everything. We have some people that are like, you know, reserved and don't want to show a lot, but at the end they still want to like rip your head off, you know? So I think the NAUA is just be comfortable in your own skin. And when it gets down to work, you know, you're fighting for the boys, you're fighting for something bigger than yourself for once. So. How does someone like, you know, going into to this year, like a high school star, because it, it's it's just interesting when when you think of like the top high school talent going to um, to NAU, uh, it, it hasn't really been a trend in the past. Like you, it, you know, it's Oregon and like all these other schools, Stanford, uh, but they attract Nico Young, and so how does he adopt or fit into the the NAU way? I think it's like. I know that we're not like Oregon. Like, obviously, our track isn't like Hayward Field. I know that. Everyone else knows that. But I think it's just you see the people that you're training with and you see the environment that you're going to be training with. And it's like, yeah, we don't have the glitz and glam like those big number schools, but we proved that it works. Um, you're in a place where Olympians come to train also. That's like another big one. And two, it's just like you have dudes on the team that really genuinely like to run and, and want to be on the team. I'm not saying that anyone in those big schools don't generally like to run. Um, it's just like, I, I think for us, it's just kind of like, yeah, we work with what we got and it works. And it's kind of like a really sim simplistic, you know, scaled down version, you know, uh, I, I know like for Nico, you know, he was the hottest dude on the block in, you know, California and he comes up to NAU and he's just another hippie looking dude like everyone else, you know? So I, I think it kind of helps to kind of take away a lot of the distractions. Now that distractions are, now they're becoming a better team. So these distractions are kind of coming in, but it's still at somewhat at a minimal for what I feel like other bigger schools can endure. So. For, and you kind of mentioned Flagstaff being this place where pros go to train. I mean, it's constantly, you know, the winter stands for four months or whatever it is. Uh, kind of, can you lay out sort of as someone who's only been to Flagstaff once in my life dude, uh, for, like, for like 10 days, I know I got to change that. I got to go back. Um, Come on. But where do, where do how much overlap do you, as, as an NAU runner, do you have with like where, you know, the NAZ elite people train or where some of these marathoners are doing their workouts? Like, or is there a lot of familiarity there that you're going to have? Or for the most part, is it, or, or something's going to be new? Yeah, so uh, I feel like there's like a lot of overlap, especially during like indoor season, when they come up, they utilize the dome a lot. So 
there's been plenty of times where we, we have our workout first uh, in the morning and the pros that come up here respect that, you know, they're not telling us to get out of the way. Like they know, like that's our time. And then once we're off, like, you know, NAZ takes the track. There was time where Bowerman was up here and they would wait till we're done and Bowerman would take the track. Um, trail wise, uh, I've ran into Sarah Hall and Ryan Hall a couple of times with their daughters. Uh, I ran into obviously the NAZ elite team a lot. Uh, I ran to, uh, you know, Kenboy when he was running uh, for Reebok, I ran to him a few times. So it's just kind of like a lot of it is same old, same old trails. And I think like workout wise, it's kind of like bury it, like variates. Like some people are like, Oh, we're going to go to this specific spot in Sedona that no one else goes to. It's like, okay, cool. But still, I, I feel like it's kind of like a branch off of like a normal route that everyone else would take. Uh, so it's kind of like, if it is like a new spot, it's not like, Oh my God, it's a hidden gem. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's someone already ran that spot. They're like, a year before they just didn't run there this year um but yeah there is there's quite a bit of overlap which is kind of nice as like an, an amateur athlete you can kind of interact what you know the future could be in the pro world like what your colleagues would eventually be like if once you're done with the college ranks there's a video on the sidious mag youtube channel that's what is the hardest workout that you've heard of in flagstaff uh and it's a bunch of pros like you know telling their answers whether it's you know Abdi or Bernard Lagat on like the A1 loop or something like that. What's the craziest that you've heard in Flagstaff? I'm not much of like a, a, a nerd when it comes to that stuff. Like I'm not like on the Strava segments and like, oh my gosh, like he just ripped it. But I think just hearing tales from Smith saying like, you know, Bernard and Abdi just going for a casual run on A1 and just absolutely torching it. Um, I think there's like one where, I mean, one craziest workout, what I saw in person was Luis Grijalva dropping a 402 in the dome right after our season was canceled. He was just super angry and we're like, yo, Luis, like, don't do it. Like, it's not worth it. You don't need the clout. You're already cool. Like you already have a girlfriend. Everything's fine. And he's like, no, no I really want to do this. And so we had uh, Theo Quacks pace him for 800 and then hop in for like another like quarter or something. And Luis, like literally nothing's in the dome. Like, like they took out the basketball court. It's just the Mondo. So it's kind of like, it makes it feel bigger. And yeah, he ripped a 402 uh, in the dome. And so I know like for a lot of marathoners, are going to be like, well, I've ripped faster than that. For me personally watching Luis going 402 in the dome and just thinking like nothing happened about it. I was just like, Oh, what? Like, why'd you not do the mile at indoor, dude? Like, why are you doing the 3K? <laughs> <laughs> so he had that anger that he had to let out after, you know, everything got canceled. What were your feelings like? Because you did have that 5K at BU that, all right, I mean, if that was, it was a huge monster PR and it's the American collegiate record. Uh, so were you sort of like satisfied with like, okay, now it was, you know, that second half of the season was just time to compete for place and you knew that the time was already your, your best time was already done yeah it's uh i had a lot of mixed feelings going through that time just because i was like okay well the hell is going to affect my graduation like like are my classes going to be canceled like or can i actually graduate through this year uh, and another one was just like yeah athletic wise i was like will there be opportunities for me to compete as a lumberjack? And I was like, well, if I am going to go pro, like who's signing right now? Are companies willing to accept people? So I think for Lisa, it was easy for him to stick with angry because he's like, oh, I have NU to come back for. Well, for me, I was like, I literally only have outdoor season. I don't even know if I'm going to even get my indoor season back. Um, and so I was, I was happy that I actually had a solid indoor season going into it. I wasn't just leaving it for outdoor season. But it was still bitter because I worked so hard for this indoor and outdoor season after having a pretty disappointing track season last year or the year before. 
And so, uh, yeah, I was just all over the place. I can't really pinpoint one. It was just kind of like, it came in waves. It was like anger, resolve, sad, happy. It was just everything. Take me through that 5K at BU and why things lined up on that night. Because it's, you looked at the field, it was, you know, your, your teammate, your former teammate, Matt Baxter was in it. Eric Jenkins, Paul Tanui, and you end up finishing second, just a second behind Paul Tanui, uh, which was, you know, a shock to a lot of people. Or how much of it was a surprise to you? I think it was like half and half. Like, I really didn't check out the field because I was like, you know what? Like, our number one goal there, 100%, and I'm not lying about this. I mean, if Smith ever wants to show his face and talk about it, this is what you tell us too. He's like, I want you there to run the NCAA qualifier. And at that time, it was like, 1340s like like we were guesstimating like 1340 something obviously they we they ripped it this year so thank god that we went pretty quick but so in, our, in my mind i was like okay i'm going to stick on this group as long as i can if i fall off i know i'll be under the ncaa mark for sure a hundred percent i don't care if i go into my pr or not this is january this is starting of indoor like i have you know i had a strong winter block so i was like yeah cool um and the pecking order was we're going to have the Nike dudes out yonder, and then we're going to have Matt in front. And then the team always pins me in back of the rabbit uh, just because they said I could hold the pace, but I think it's because they could kick off of me. <laughs> Losers. Um, but, yeah, so I would be right behind Matt, and everyone else would file behind me. And so, yeah, the race goes on. We're running. I'm not really paying attention to the time because, again, I'm like, you know what, just stick on Matt. Just stick on Matt. And, uh, yeah, finally, there's some space between Matt and I, and I'm kicking the crap out of Matt's legs, which I'm not supposed to. I'm sorry, Matt, for that. But I'm absolutely just being the douche canoe. I'm kicking his legs and everything. And it gets to a point where Matt just goes on the outside and lets me through. And so then we link up. And I was like, okay, like there's a space in front of us. I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to keep running my pace. I'm feeling really good if I'm kicking the back of Matt's leg. And I'm just going to try to catch up to the front group. And then next thing I know, I'm like right behind Eric Jenkins. So I kind of like come back. And I was like, okay, we're on the group. I have no idea what pace we're running right now. Um, but I'm feeling pretty good. I'm a little seasoned, but we're still moving. And slowly but surely, I, I things start to like start to to turn. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm gonna follow Paul Tanu because he seems to be making moves. And he always goes on the outside and cuts like me in. So I was kind of getting a little bit mad because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna like get you. And it came to the point where I'm just passing Eric Jenkins and I'm on Paul Tanui. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to book it. I think I'm doing good right now. Again, I don't know what the time is, but the crowd seems to be screaming my coaches and telling me that I suck. So I'm like, okay, we're, we're doing good. And then, uh, yeah, I was trying to hang on to Paul Tanui on that last lap. He burned me and I went around the corner and I saw like 13 O's and I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. And I finished and I was like, all right, I'm just going to take a little quick little sitter right here. And I kind of laid on the track a little bit, try to catch my breath. And I just heard like, oh yeah, like 13, 16. And my first thought was, I am three seconds off the Olympic standard. <laughs> I was like, because uh, the last time I had that feeling, I ran a 2804. And at that time, the Olympic A standard was 28 flat. So when I did that, I was like, wow, I'm only four seconds off the Olympic A standard. So in my head, I was like, again, you're not good enough to even hit a standard. Like, loser um but but yeah but it was funny because like before the race p julian came up to us and just completely switched like paces on us like before i think we were hearing like it was like 34s per lap and he goes like hey guys we're switching to 33s just like let you know and this was like right before we had to go i was like okay whatever like i'm putting on my spikes because i'm not thinking oh i'm gonna pass you know those dudes i'm just there to try to get an ncaa time you know um, but yeah, that race, I just kind of like, oh my God, this opened up so many opportunities for me if they weren't open before. 
And I was like, I, oh, I'm like so sick. I was like, I'm going to crush some Pop-Tarts when I get back. <laughs> uh, we're going to come back to, to the Pop-Tarts in, in a bit. But um, so th- during that race, when you're in your, just, I guess, again, in your shoes, everything's a blur sort of like where you you don't see the clock like for for these laps you don't hear mike yelling anything at you well so mike wasn't there it was coach cornfield uh mike was back in flagstaff because he was having i think it was the big uh it was a i think it was called like the lumberjack challenge but he had an indoor meet he had to put on and so cornfield took uh yeah a few of us out to the northeast uh which for me was crazy like i think the furthest northeast i've ever been was indiana i've never been to the northeast before really? wow. yeah of course jordy's like oh i've been to new york before and blaze is from new jersey and louise is like well i'm from like new york and i was like can i just have my moment please <laughs> like i'm only used to desert cactuses and like reptiles i want to see some lights and some like colonial history um but yeah no i i, I did hear coach cornfield he was only on one corner but he wasn't going like, oh, like hit this split. He's just like, go, 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 go. So it's like, okay, that's that's only like one answer. Um, but yeah, the rest of it was kind of like a blur. And I think for good reason, because I feel like if I would focus on like outside forces, I would take my mind off the race. So I'm kind of glad things were a blur and I wasn't like, oh, that girl's hair is a shade of brunette, you know? <laughs> what, what was the conversation like with Matt after the race? Because you said you were clipping sort of like his, his heels a little bit. Uh, do you think you cost him any time? <laughs> I don't know. He set a New Zealand national record. So yeah. uh, I, at the end, I was like, yo, dude, I'm so sorry for kicking the back of you. Which is funny because, like, I, I'm known on the team for doing that on accident. I don't do it on purpose. I just pace too closely. I get, like, fired up during the race. Uh, don't I mean, Matt's done it to me before, so don't think he's off the hinge. But I just do it more. Um, so, yeah, my first thing was like, yo, dude. I am so sorry. And then we started to find out that he actually set a national record. And I was like, oh, dude, like, congrats on the national record. And, of course, Matt's like, well, not a lot of people do in New Zealand. I was like, shut up. You set a national record. Like, congrats, man. So, uh, yeah. So my first thing was, dude, man, I'm sorry. But the second thing was just like, yo, man, national hero right here, bro. All right. So after everything gets washed away, what's kind of kept you going during quarantine and like uh, during the, the, the summer, like what, what were you looking forward to at this point? Getting a job. <laughs> um, it was just, it was just kind of like my mind was just like, okay, if worst comes to worst, I could go back to NAU so I could train for that. But also hopefully things could open up so a brand could, uh, you know, pick me up. So I think it was just chasing something that I was waiting for an answer for uh essentially but even with like in training and like were you setting like work like hard workouts for yourself or was it just like building a a, a base where were you at with that yeah i was i was kind of dealing with like an ankle thing a little bit like a heel thing so i was kind of like once i got better i was getting like motivated and i just get unmotivated and i was getting motivated again i'll get unmotivated and it's not like i can meet up with my team because of like you know covid we're trying to quarantine and not stay in big groups or anything and so uh, I was down in Phoenix too, so it was starting to get hot. So I was like, "Wow, this is, this is, this is kind of sucks because it's getting hot." Um, and so yeah, it, it wasn't like hard workouts. Like I tried to give myself hard workouts, but it was mostly just fart licks. I just did like you know one minute on, one minute off, uh, hard efforts on like during a run or anything, but not like I never went to a track and was like, "Okay, I'm gonna rip 800s. I'm gonna rip 400s." Like it was always, it was always kind of like long run slash fart like kind of sort of thing like the old school training route and where are you at right now sort of like coming back from from that injury yeah yeah i'm i'm all i think i'm all healthy i i'm rolling out a lot i'm, I'm taking my prehab seriously because now my financial like 
depend like depends on it <laughs> um but uh but yeah no i i think i'm i'm really i'm i'm pretty fit right now i'm glad i'm not really fit because i have until june next year to try to get really fit um but i'm fit enough to try out some races that are coming up in the near future and uh and yeah, i mean and i'm just like really you know it's at the point where there's times where you're really fit but you're kind of like in the gutter and there's times where you're like really fit but you're happy i'm like really fit but i'm happy I, i'm not hitting the gutter yet but give me about like a few weeks and i'll probably be in there <laughs> so you already mentioned next year and the track trials is like the big thing on the calendar for you have you sort of having this breakthrough in the 5k uh but also being a strong 10k runner do you have a preference as to which one you want to focus more on for next year um yeah i i definitely want to gun for the 10k um at the trials uh and i'm not saying like i mean I, I want to run a fast 5k still I'm not going to neglect that um but I think I have a good chance at the 10k um I know I thrive really good on longer stuff but I want to stick to the track for kind of as long as I can because I feel like once I sell my soul to the roads there's no going back uh <laughs> I could talk to fobs about that but um but yeah no I uh yeah I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pursue the 10k and try to do as much track stuff as I can uh if I am hopping into the miles just trying to work on my quick stuff legs but any serious stuff would probably be 5k 10k and then uh yeah and hopefully you know eventually world cross if you know they allow us to run on grass eventually and how much of that sort of you know being a young first year pro comes in the fact of like assessing sort of also the competition and knowing just how deep the united states is especially in the 5k when you've got chalimo and woody under 13 you know uh, lopez right there at 13 um that's not not to say that the three fastest people are guaranteed to make the team any 5k at usas or the trials can get tactical and then it's a crapshoot um mm -hmm. but for you i guess what do you think you need to work on in the 5k to sort of be up there with those type of people i do have the stamina endurance it's just my kick uh i have to learn how to give faith to myself that i am strong enough for the kick but also i want to develop my kick a lot better um because I know I, I can't just constantly go out, ride or die out in the front all the time. Like these guys are pros. Like they know what to do. <laughs> I'm the young buck. Uh, <laughs> and so I definitely work on my kick, obviously. And, uh, but I think it's just try to instill faith that, okay, I do belong here. Like I am a pro. Like I, I deserve to be up here and uh, I want to give it my all. So yeah, just, I mean, obviously easier said than done. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are kind of a few things on top of my head. But yeah, I'm very happy that uh, I can hold on to pace for a long time. Uh, it's just learning how to like zone out and then not focus on it too much and then zone in and work hard when it when it gets tough and try to find that extra gear that I've been longing for. And sort of when people do think of NAZ Elite and sort of the, the road success that they've had, Alphine winning the marathon trials, Fobble 209 at the Boston Marathon. Uh, you know, you've got young guys like Rory on your team now who have taken to the roads much sooner than, you know, some other people in the past have, have made that decision to, to make that transition. Uh, has anyone in sort of like, it's always interesting when you hear of the people who take really well to the marathon. It's because at some point in their career, maybe it was when they were in college, there was a coach or someone who said to them, like, you're going to make a great marathon or someday or has anyone ever said that sort of to you being like such a big strength guy? Yeah. So I think one of the first few months that Smith took the gig or not even the first, I think it was like one of the first years we were doing like VO2 stuff up here. 
And I think we're at Buffalo Park and I was doing like 10 mile uh, sub T, which is just kind of a long threshold run. It's kind of like get around a pace where if you go too fast, you're going to bonk, but you're not going to get it. If you're going to be too slow, it's kind of like that nice little fine line sweet spot. And uh, I would just be ripping just those long thresholds and I'll be like breathing through my nose. I'll be talking crap to coach because he was just giving me crap before the workout. And he's just looking at my times. He's like, dude, like you could be like the American record holder for the marathon if you want. Like I'm dead serious. And I, and so I have, I was like, people are like, yeah, you're for sure going to be like a marathoner. And even talking to like some of the pro coaches, uh, one of them was just like, yeah, no, if you're with me, you're going to be a marathoner for sure. And I know, like, I know in my heart, my career will end on the roads somewhere in the marathon. Uh, hopefully it's at the end of the marathon and not, you know, during it. But I know like I will, I will be a marathoner for sure. I would be doing myself a disjustice if I, a uh, disservice if I, don't do that. Um, but I think it's just kind of unique that I do have somewhat of some track wheels that I could also utilize too. So, um, but yeah, I have been told that I'm going to be a marathoner, uh, but I'm kind of glad that it wasn't kind of shoved down my throat too hard. <laughs> yeah. And you're with the, a good group to, to take the time to, to develop that. All right. I want to jump into some of the questions <laughs> that were submitted oh boy. by uh, listeners. So first one, uh, Megan Van Pelt asks best burrito spot in Flagstaff. MVP shout out uh um man best burrito spot um i right now I'm spacing on the name but everyone in you knows what it is uh it's off of Milton um it's uh it's a really good like burrito place I am spacing on the name right now because I'm like put on the spot sorry um I'm pretty sure someone might say it in the comments but they have really cheap breakfast burritos so I really like to go uh in there and uh get like a chorizo or like steak burrito um but yeah i'm I'm gonna find out the name of it during the interview um is it but... tapatio is that what it is no no not tapatio uh it's on the tip of my tongue but i i go there but if, yeah burrito place off a of millen and flagstaff that's that's my place to go specifically for breakfast burritos because they're super cheap but yeah los salteños thank you ryan roth thank you elliot los salteños see old teammates having my back los salteños that's the name of the place not not chipotle uh matt <laughs> um but yeah no los salteños that's usually like my breakfast burrito place uh timmy two shoes on instagram asks has fobs provided any guidance yet on fa founding a food related cult yet no, uh, but he has tried to help me find a mythical beast cult that I could be part of. I mean, as you can tell, you know, not like a fan or anything. Um, but I have a feeling that I'm going to be probably a shoe in for the burrito mafia just because of, you know, the team. Um, but yeah, no, no, he, he hasn't given me the, you know, the elevator pitch on like which food product I have to be part of, or, you know, if, if a burrito was in a bar fight with a, you know, cheese crisp, who would win, you know, it, nothing like that yet. Another question from uh, Instagram was, uh, what's it like having a BYU uh, teammate? Dude, it sucks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, real talk, when Matt joined the team and Rory joined the team quickly after, I was like, yo, dude, like, real talk, like, let me know how Rory is. Because we only knew Rory is at the competitive one. So we we're like, oh, we hate this dude's guts. And uh, and Matt told me that, no, he's an extremely hard worker. He's really nice. He's actually not what you think. And so now meeting him, he's actually a really down-to-earth dude. Uh, he's super nice. But I'm still going to give him crap that he chose the wrong school. Um, but I, I, I really greatly respect his work ethic. You know, uh, he's way more mentally stronger than I am to join the roads early. So kudos to him. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a really nice dude. So I'm glad I, 
I'm glad I'm with a cool BYU rival because they could easily turn the other way. <laughs> so can you sum up for us sort of like what that trash talk and just like that, that level of animosity is sort of like between BYU and NAU? Because, you know, we, we, we see it like just in sort of the level of hype uh, between the two schools when it comes to a cross-country championship and the lead up to nationals. Yeah, so all that was from the mindsets of Rory and Matt. Um, I mean, I did pitch in my little trap star do. I made fun of people's grandmas, and I was just instantly like, you can't do that anymore. And so I was like, okay. Um, and so for a lot of it, it was just Matt like saying something, and I'm like, Matt, don't do it. It's not cool. I mean, you could be sent back if you do anything wrong. Like, please be quiet. Um, and so it was a bunch of kind of like, you know, BYU. And also part of it, too, was out of like, you know, during that year of like 2017, we would post up a really good score, but then BYU would post up a really good score just like on different ends. And it was kind of like, Oh, and they kind of went up each other and people were like, Oh, but if NU ran in this race, it'd be like, yada, yada. And then, you know, Rory would be tweeting out like, Oh, you know, here's this and this. And then Matt would do some really crappy Photoshop image of him and I, and it's like, Oh God, no, I don't want to be part of this. So a lot of it was me just kind of cringing, but also I also added to it too. So I'm, I'm not all that safe, but um, thankfully all that has died down, uh, hardcore. Now it's just all good fun. I hope. Uh, this coach Rico two one nine on Instagram asks, since you have a beard now, will you be running ultras? Um, I don't know. You got to talk to the Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I hope, I hope they have a good enough personality and a good enough personality to join that squad. But I don't know. They probably look at me like, yeah, this dude can't hang, which they're right. Uh, <laughs> I could probably only hang up with them for like at least a half marathon, but um yeah hopefully eventually i'll be able to do like western states 100 It'd be kind of cool to end a pro career with a cool belt buckle but um yeah not anytime soon i'm gonna do some ultras someone just chimed in here with saying most miles you've run in a week 120 uh i did that during christmas between uh yeah the the christmas break before indoor season this year uh, I did my half marathon in Vegas and I took a little time off and then I, that track season, I tried to put in the miles and put in some really good hard work. And yeah, I did 120 miles a week. So that was intense for me. I've only done that. It was like three weeks in a row and coach Smith's like, Oh, that's baby mileage, yada, yada. Uh, but for me, it was really intense and uh, I haven't hit anything close to that just yet. I mean, with this new coach, who knows, but yeah, 120. All right, final questions that I ask every guest on the podcast. So the first one is, funniest drug testing story that you've got? <laughs> funniest drug testing story. Um, so there was a time where I was on the USADA testing pool when I did my 10K 2804. And so uh, I, I put in my uh, schedule where I was at and I was at the right place. You know, I didn't skip a drug test, but this person kept on like ringing my doorbell and kept calling my phone. I'm like what's going on and i went downstairs and i'm in my batman uh pajama pants i have no shirt uh i don't have my glasses in so i'm kind of like blinded and i open up the door and it's two people from usada and like hey like we're here from usada are you tyler day and looking of a man uh, i was like yeah i'm tyler and uh yeah in the morning i i for some reason i i can't take a leak it takes me a while to do that and so it got to the point where uh i was just chilling in my kitchen pounding glasses of water in order to try to pee i'm like walking around and my roommate at the time came in from his run and he goes who is this and like oh this is usada and we went through all the whole entire thing and finally my roommate was like hey you know that milk is a diuretic maybe take a swig of milk 
and I took a swig of milk and I instantly had to go to the bathroom. Like, I, I wish I knew that before, but yeah, I had the USADA agents in my living room for like, it felt like an hour and a half. And they, and it, this was like at six during the morning and they came from Phoenix. So the USADA agents left at like four or something in the morning, just to <laughs> wait in my living room, waiting for me to pee. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, that's, I mean, that's my best drug testing story. Uh, I know it seems pretty naive, but hopefully I get some better one in the future. What's the meanest thing you've read about yourself on let's run.com? Oh, there's a few. I think <laughs> one that, I think that one that stands out, uh, I was a freshman going into the big sky, uh, or just in college. And, um, <laughs> and this, and this dude's like, yeah, no, Tyler day ran like, so-and-so on this track in Montana state. And this one dude or dude at, uh, was just like, yo, like Tyler day, like he won't even be like top three in the big sky. And that year, I think I got like third in like the 10 K or something. And then the year after that, I won like a conference title. So suck it. Jeremy <laughs> underscore six, three, five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, uh, assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you, where would this run take place and who would it be with? They don't have to be a runner. Okay. So it's going to be Ireland for sure. Cause I got to pay homage to the motherland and uh, fictional character. Uh, does it have to be a real person? No, it could be, it could be a fictional person too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Sasquatch, I mean, Sasquatch is real too. We all know that he's just a hide and seek world champion, but yeah, I would be in Dublin, Ireland with my homeboy Sasquatch would be talking. And uh, cause one, I think people would be like, yo, like, is that dude one of us? Like, no, I'm an American. But uh, I've always wanted to check out Ireland. And then two, it's just, I'm, I'm with Sasquatch, you know? I want to know why he goes into hiding. What are his things? Uh, is there more of them? Uh, is his cousin the Yeti? Like, why, you know, why Sasquatch? You want to be, Kurt, you want to be called Mike or, you know? <laughs> That's a great answer. Uh, all right, final one. It has nothing to do with running. Uh, cool. A, you get 25 shots from half court. Uh, if you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? Hell yeah, dude. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> and I like plus, I've, I've, I've watched Dawshank Redemption so many times, I could find my way out. <laughs> I like that confidence. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for, for doing this. This is a lot of fun. Do uh, you have anything coming up on, on the schedule so far, or is it just back to training? Um, back to training. I don't know if Ben Rosario wants me to spill the beans on who's uh, racing who, but um, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, I think there's like a 10K opportunity December 5th for the Olympic standard that I want to hit. So uh, I do have little races before then, but the big one I want to hit is December 5th. And then hopefully, if everything goes well, I can help pace the marathon project down in, uh, uh, yeah, Scottsdale, Chandler area. So, uh, but yeah, those are the two things I'm really looking forward to is try to see if I can get an Olympic A standard for that 10K. And then, uh, yeah, see if I could help Fobs and the boys uh, on that marathon project. Awesome. Well, we wish you the best of luck with all of that. And once again, congrats on, on signing the pro deal. So, yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for taking the time every day. I know you could talk to any other better person, so I'm glad I filled that spot. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. This is great. Thanks to Tyler for the conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Through that, I mean, I just learned how much of a character he is, so it'll be great to see what comes out of someone like him meshing with the likes of Scott Fobble and Roy Linkletter and Scott Smith already on that NAZ team. Maybe he's a future guest on Showrunners because I'd be very curious what film Tyler picks and sits down and chats with Scott. 
A reminder, a new edition of Sidious Mag. That's right, I'm calling the newsletter a virtual edition of the mag. Every Friday, dropping in your inbox, you can subscribe at SidiousMag.Substack.com. Many thanks to our sponsor, Backline. Pick up one of their shirts or sweaters. It's getting chilly, so maybe take a look at their Barely Running Club jacket or hoodie. Check it all out, all of your designs at backline.nyc and use code Sidious for 15% off. If you enjoyed this episode and want to shout us out in your Instagram stories, tag Sidious Mag, tag NAZ Elite, maybe even tag Tyler. We'll all be sure to repost it. Doing that along with leaving a little review on Apple Podcasts allows new people to discover the show and shares what you enjoyed about the conversation. That's all I've got. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you again soon.